Welcome back to episode 106 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we love celebrating the highs and glories of rating gains, but sometimes we have to dive into the plateaus, perhaps the pits of despair. Spoiler, that might be this whole episode. All right. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. And I want to thank Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Diamond Rich Burgess, Brandon Hallside, David Schreiber, Lindsay Newhall, Jeff Peterson, Tobias Rice, Bob Berger, Nicholas Harrigan, Rich and King Level supporter Ian Samples. Also, thanks so much, everybody. I can no longer do it in one breath. So many people are supporting the show, and I appreciate it. Uh, I have been streaming more on Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes, and I started something new. On Tuesdays and Sundays, I'm going to be putting up clips of the podcast as shorts on YouTube and maybe TikTok. I don't know. I'm not a teenager, so I feel like I'm banned from TikTok, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, If you want to appear on the show, you can fill out the Google form in the show notes. We all want to hear your story. And uh, if you're interested in Noel Studer's awesome Next Level Training Program, there is still the code you can use in the show notes to support the show. And uh, today is going to be a weird episode. This is probably the most selfish episode of Chess Journeys to date, but I'm hoping that's going to help all of you. Uh, So if you haven't been aware, I've been struggling quite a bit with my USCF results lately, dropped 150 points since April, and today GM No Studer has graciously volunteered his time to go through some of the games and has joined me today to provide an autopsy of the results and hopefully we can resuscitate this corpse of a chess journey. So, Noel, thanks so much for joining. And have you had a chance to play any chess yet today, or have you been too busy looking at my games? I have been quite busy looking at your games. And, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, very excited to be here. Um, thank you so much for making the time, for accepting my self-invitation, basically, on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I hope people at home get something out of this, because I think this could be very... Um, yeah, good experience for you, but hopefully also for the listeners as well. Yeah, that's what my hope is, that instead of just wallowing in bad results, this motivates people to really sit down and uh, provide some analysis from themselves or other people they know. Maybe you just even have someone at your club who's a couple hundred points higher rated than you that you can go over your game with. All right, yeah, Noel, absolutely. where should we start? Should, we do, should I provide more information about my... Um, uh debacle of a journey since april yeah maybe just uh you know paint a little picture for listeners at home what happened since april and how we ended up recording this episode okay so going into april i was feeling great i was so confident about my chess journey i was like i don't care about ratings you know i especially don't care about ratings they're going up like way up i went from a low of like 1580 all the way to 1750. I was feeling good. Everything was going great. And then there was this tournament in April that I really wanted to play in, but I was sick that day. And I was like, you know what? I'm so confident. It doesn't even matter if I'm sick. I'm going to crush this thing anyway. And I went there and I had three winning positions and I lost them all to really good upcoming kids. Um, And that, somehow started like this chain reaction of losses and failing confidence. Um, So so for me, it wasn't just the losses, but it was like I was really confident going into that. And then somehow something flipped and all my confidence went away, even though I've continued to study. And I would assume I'm better now than I was then. 
but I have no confidence and all of my results show that I've entered many tournaments since then with um, not great results. I just continue dropping and dropping and dropping. And it's gotten to the point, Noel, where um, now I really actually don't care about my rating because I'm like, I don't know what to do. No matter what I do, it just goes down. Even when I have good results, it goes down because something weird will happen where it's like, oh, you got paired with someone rated 700 in the first round. And so then because of that, even though you went, you know, 2-1 in a draw, you lost rating. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. All right, Noel, what do you think? Yeah, I mean... Positive. Let's look at it positively. You don't care anymore about ratings, right? That's actually, I love that because when you said that, I have this cycle. I don't have to get some, you know, precise words or explanation for it, but I have the same. Like, I have shit results, not only in chess, but also, for example, in business with sales of the course or, or whatever. So you have bad results. Then you don't care anymore about the results at some point because you're like, it doesn't matter anymore. You yeah. start to work well. You start to care about the journey mm. and everything is good. You feel like great. You, you Your results start to get better. You work good. And at some point, everything goes so well that you start to care again about the results because you're like, now I'm so confident and now I want 50 points. But maybe if I continue like that, I'm winning 70 points. And then, oh my God, I win this. And then I will be this. And you start to have all these thoughts in your head. Mm. And then the pressure comes in. At some point, you break again and then you go back you have a bad period and you go back into, okay, now it was so bad. I don't care anymore. So somehow we have to intervene at the point where things are still going well and we still train well to keep going, but without getting back into this like result thinking mode. Oh, oh my God, what if I win? What if I earn so much? What if whatever? So I think that's something very common. So if you at home also have that, don't worry. I think everybody has this. This is my first uh, yeah. realization. Yeah. I, and I just had a realization, Noel, that every tournament I've been in, in the good period, in the middle of the tournament, after each round, I would go to the USCF rating calculator and I'd be like, I don't care about rating, but let's see how we're doing. And the last two tournaments, I've been like, you know what, ratings calculator, you are dead to me. You just do what you got to do and I'll do what I have to do. Yeah, I love that. Like the focus on the input, right? That's where our energy should go. And it's it's really not easy. I can really relate to that calculating rating. I I especially remember around the time when I was close to 2,500, you know, GM oh, yeah. norms and everything. I was like, before I went to a tournament, I would calculate with which average rating I would need which points to get a GM norm. And I, well, okay, if I get paired against this guy in this round. And it's just like, it's just, it's just hell. Like we yeah. should just play chess. That's it. We we shouldn't think about these things, but somehow we are human and when we get to think about, about those things. So I think we get to the mental part. I would go later on, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think has gone wrong in a chess sense? Like you said that you lost these three winning positions and the confidence dropped. Do you have any, through the analysis of your game, like any weak spots that you managed to find out or what would be the weaknesses you would name at the moment? Yeah, I feel like, and this is something I only realized recently, is that my calculation has gotten lazy and worse. Um, in that in that tournament, all three of those games I lost because there was sort of a critical moment 
And I just kind of went like, eh, it's been a long game. Like, I'm doing fine. I'm winning. Uh, I'll just, you know, make a few whatever moves. And I was telling my brain, like, no, 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 no. We need to think about this. And my brain was like, hey, man, I'm not feeling good. Like, I'm tired. This is what I'm offering. Take it or leave it. And I thought it was just that one tournament. And then that's kind of continued. I've noticed this happening um, quite a bit. And then the moments where I do calculate a lot, I've been doing something that even people at my club now call pulling a Kevin, where you have a very good position and there's an opportunity to, you know, make the risky play to win it all. And it looks like it works. And in every line, it works, except that one, that one that you missed. And in that line, you lose. Um, So that's been a weakness. And, And my coach and I have been talking about that. Like, what does this mean? Does this mean... I just play more solid and don't go for wins, which feels weird to be like, no, 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 I won't bother with that. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like those are kind of my biggest takeaways is that I feel like somehow my brain has gotten lazier over the last few months and I'm a bit unclear on what is going on there. Okay. That's very interesting. So I can, I did this analysis of your games, right? I just, what I like to do is really look at the mistakes that could or have cost you real points. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care as much about a move you go from plus 0.5 to minus 0.5. I really care about the moves. You had a drawn position, you made a move, you were lost. Right? So I try to check those and I find it interesting sometimes how people evaluate themselves. Actually, I have to say you evaluate yourself very correctly. That might also be because uh, I saw your game studies and you really annotate with a lot of words. I do like that. You know, you just mm-hmm. say, I was scared of that move or I missed that move or hell, how could I even miss this move? Or I thought I was lost. So I just resigned and it wasn't the wrong position. Uh, right. So that's very important for everybody at home. Like you really need to do that because that's when somebody can go over your games and actually feel like, oh, that's what Kevin thought. So that's where we can start to improve things. I just want to go through the list of mistakes costing half or one point mm. and just one by one, I just go through. So you had a game where you missed, you played Bishop E6 on move 15. You missed an opponent's resource. Your opponent could have won in one move. Then another game you played um, G5, you missed opponent's resource and he checkmated you. Then another game. That sounds uh, bad. Then we have another game against Mason Welch, where oh, you actually resigned in a in a drone position. Yeah, um, there's a whole story with that game, though. Noel, it was a cold. Like I was playing in front of like an industrial size air conditioner that was blowing on my table directly. I was shaking with cold. So what I'm trying to figure out, Noel, is. Do I just not know Rook endgames as well as I think I do? Or was I so cold that my brain was like, hey, man, I don't care. We're getting out of here. Like I offered him a draw a little earlier and he declined in a drawn position because, you know, his position was slightly better. Um, but yeah, that that's one of the worst moments. No, uh, that was. That yeah, was- I can I can relate to that. That's that's really tough. Like especially resigning in drawn position is really like losing drawn position. OK, but resigning, you feel like I just have just made the only logical move and probably I would have gotten to the draw. Yeah. So I think 
we always have to uh, evaluate like two different sides, right? One is mindset side and the other is chess side, like those, these two sides. And then uh, the, what we want to do is uh, to take it over to training and say, what can you train in mindset? What can you train chess-wise so that on the tournament, you're doing better in both of them. So I think this game has a little bit of both. I don't think it's actually end games. I think it, it might have been really self-confidence issue at this point, right? When when you're playing this game in March, right? You're doing well and so on. You're like, ah, I mean, why is this guy even playing on? This is an easy draw, you know? Just what, what the heck are you doing with your life? And you're just smashing out the moves and, and confidently holding the draw. So that's also a difference. But we can continue. And there's basically what I my point was is like, uh, there is opponent's idea, opponent's idea, another opponent's idea, opponent's idea, wrong calculation, opponent's idea, missing opponent's resource, missing opponent's move. Yep. <laughs> so yep. so all the mistakes that cost you have, in a way, the same um, the same problem as missing opponent's moves. But you also took it to Twitter, right? You you wrote, you tagged me, you talked to Jacob Agard, uh, maybe somebody else, and you said, how can I... How in the world can I improve that? Right? So that's something we will try to work on as well. But it's very important to understand that maybe one huge downswing can be caused by two things, missing confidence and not being able to spot opponents' moves. You're not bad at everything. You're not bad at openings. You're not bad at end games. You're bad. Your whole chess is not bad. That's what I want to say. Like There are some really nice games you played and then you just play one stupid move and you lose them. So with like a series of one moves that would have been better, you would have maybe been on an upswing, right? That's very important to note as well. Yeah, it is the such the frustrating part of chess, right? Is that you can play really well for three hours and then one move and you're like, well, no, I lost. Yeah. <sighs> but it's the nice thing on another hand if you manage to play those good games, and Kevin, really, you you had nice openings. You seem to play well. You outplay your opponents frequently, even high-rated opponents. Um, you get good positions. Um, I, I actually think you play very well in the end game. You had several end games which you played pretty nicely. Um, so if you can change this one little thing of um, missing opponents' resources and not missing them anymore suddenly like the points come flying because that they make such a huge difference and that's why we should always focus on the 20 percent that make 80 percent of the results and that's usually tactics and in your case it's really opponents resource so that's already very good that we know where we should work on okay excellent so from my games and it's funny i didn't say that because i as soon as you said that i was like yes no that's that's the number one problem is opponents resources and i'm remembering now going to twitter and asking people the funny thing is most of the responses i got were not that helpful they were like oh if you want to get better at spotting opponents resources just get better at chess and i was like hey thanks i've been trying to do that <laughs> um yeah so but but you're definitely right i don't know what the problem is and it's not even always hard ones right sometimes it's very simple moves where my opponent really only has one reasonable move and I've calculated for them all these horrible moves. I'm like, what if they did this terrible move? And I'll go over the game with my coach and he's like, in what world are they going to make that move? And I was like, I don't know. I just thought that was their only move. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some somehow tunnel vision or 
However, we can we can explain that, right? But again, it's good to know the issue of most of it. Um, and now we have to think like, what can we do better? So here's the question. What chess training did you do since April, let's say roughly? Do you have some ideas? Did you have some plans, some focus? What have you been doing? Yeah, so I think since about April is when I decided to play more and study less. Um, and what that translated to was more blitz games just to try to, because I was feeling like I had all this knowledge, but I hadn't translated into skill well. And so my thought was if I play more games, maybe I can move the knowledge to skill. Even in the blitz games, I was going over them, looking at them. They weren't just mindless games that I was winging off. Like I would play arenas and I wouldn't do that well in the arena because after every single game, I would still look at the moves. Um, I also started working on the uh, steps method, step four. Um, but in that entire stretch from April till now, I only got through 48 pages. So I didn't even finish one whole steps book in like four months, which is, I'm realizing, pretty absurd. Uh, I was looking at chess.com and the amount of puzzles I did in that period dropped dramatically, like from, you know, 20 a day on average to like three a day on average. So I think those are some alarm bells that are resounding in my ears. Um, I started focusing on sort of like the smaller things that were problems in my games. So like I noticed I didn't like to sacrifice all that much. And so I started reading Mastering Positional Sacrifices, which, you know, that's great. But I think the point you're making is like, when you went through my games, you weren't like, here's why you're losing, Kevin. You're not sacking the exchange enough, right? Like that that was not one of your conclusions. But yet that was a conclusion I came to and was like, that's how I'm going to fix this. I'm going to read about sacrificing material more. Um, and then most recently, I've I've really been working on, on how to use a space advantage. Again, I think kind of like a misevaluation of the problem. I've been thinking like, ooh, I get into these middle games with my D4 weird positions and I don't really know how to capitalize. And really, I think the bottom line is if I didn't just blunder, then I would win those positions anyway. Like a subtle understanding of space is great, but probably not what someone struggling at 1600 needs to be focusing on. So just telling you the work I've been doing makes me feel like I'm seeing some answers. I love that. I also love the honesty, you know, it's just, it's so important that we are honest to ourselves because sometimes, right, when we evaluate our stuff, you're like, ah, yeah, but I still did this and I still did some tactics, so it's fine, you know, and you're just there like, okay, I understand, <laughs> probably I should do much more tactics and, and I should have finished this book long ago, but that's not what I did. So I think you got, you got some of the solutions already. And I think what you absolutely need is simplicity and a plan. Mm -hmm. These are the two things that I really advocate for because we all have this, like when we are not great at something, and actually I have to tell you, even as a grandmaster, sometimes I felt I suck at end games, I suck at openings, I'm bad at this, I'm bad at that. So I have to work on everything. But especially like recently I started playing tennis again and I could work on my serve, on my forehand, on my backhand, on my slice. Everything is bad. Go 
going to the net is bad. Like everything is really bad. But there's some very tiny fraction of things that happen over and over again. And if I just keep on hitting the net on my third stroke every time, like my opponent just needs to, you know, bring over the ball and say, okay, <laughs> you do you, yeah? Just make the mistake. So we got to figure out like what is costing us the most and we focus on that. And mostly it's boring. Mostly it's repetitive, but it just works. So that's how I think about tactics. That's one part where we hopefully we will work on. And I think that's my problem is that boring piece of it. Because what happens is every time I make a big push on tactics, I do a lot of tactics, I get better at chess and I like chess less because I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of doing tactics. I just want to read a fun strategy book and like learn more about chess, things I probably won't be able to use in my games, but still I can like tell myself I'm getting better at chess when really if I just did tactics all day, I think my results would be much better, even if my knowledge was a little lower. Yeah, I do agree. Like I usually say, if you just do tactics well, and we will maybe shortly talk about how you should do tactics if you do them well, plus you play and analyze some games, you're studying chess more effectively than 95% probably. Because these two things are just what matters in the end. Right. So, but we have to have some fun. We got to enjoy chess. So at the end of the day, it's, it's a hobby, it's pastime, right? It should, should be fun, but it's also not fun when we get go into a downswing. So somehow we have to find this balance of getting interesting things like, oh, I, I enjoy learning about space advantage. And then when one out of 20 games, I use that space advantage, I feel like a genius, right? When we, we don't miss basic tactics, we're not like, Oh, we're a genius. It's just normal, but actually it's not that normal, right? So uh, somehow we have to combine these two things. And that's, I think we have talked already about my one third rule. Did mm. we talk the last time we had the podcast? We did, but you might as well restate it. I think it's a sure. valuable piece. So I, I try to make it as simple as possible. Um, and the one third rule says you should spend 33% or one third of your time studying chess on tactics. You should spend the other third on another third uh, on playing and analyzing games. And then the third third is for opening end game and strategy work. And how that works is usually at any point in your chess training plan, you work on either end game strategy for opening. Plus you always have tactics and you always have playing and analyzing. So you have a little bit of that, oh, I'm so intrigued. This is a cool book. I'm reading a strategy book. Uh, but you always make sure that the basics are there. And the basics are really playing games as you did. And I, I like that you also play a lot of OTP games. You know, you try to put yourself out there. You analyze those games. That's really important. And then you have the tactics part. And like this, you can, you know, move on all sides forward. But... Um, not spread too thin by doing some end games, doing some opening, doing some strategy, and then suddenly you don't have time for tactics anymore. Yeah. And I'm so reactive too. Like that that game where I resigned in a drawn position. I was like, I know nothing about rook end games. And I went out and got a rook end game book. And I've read like 80 pages of this rook end game book instead of just doing a couple hundred tactics and fixing the actual problem. Yeah, that's that's what happens so often, yeah. Because we, uh, 
we lose the self-confidence and then suddenly everything is bad and we want the quick fix. So we just focus on, on one part. Somewhere deep down, I guess, even after this game, you knew that tactics was the solution. You just didn't like the solution, right? <laughs> <laughs> please, please give me something else than tactics. <laughs> the funny thing is, I didn't actually realize tactics was the problem mm. until you said, I'd like to help you take a look at it. And just in prepping for this interview, I was like, you know what? I should look at like just some basic stats of like, how many games have I played since April? How how many tactics have I been doing? And it was when I opened up the tactics thing and the graph was like empty for a few months. Like I just didn't do tactics on chess.com. That doesn't mean I wasn't doing them. I have some chessable courses that that I do, but the, the chess.com graph helps me because that's my like, I'm just sitting at my computer and I'm like, I should do chess tech, chess puzzles. Like, it's just a good barometer for where I am with puzzles and seeing it be so empty. I was like, what is going on? That's when I, that's when I realized that it, it wasn't um, after the game. I really thought after that game, okay, my problem is Rook ending. That's what I need to work on. So, so just even you volunteering your time to do this interview helped me discover some things. And then hearing your assessment has helped me, reinforce them so definitely for the next few weeks all i'm gonna well maybe not all i'm gonna do is tactics maybe that's also overreacting maybe it should be just really making sure one third of my time is tactics yeah i love that i i love that you spoke and then you immediately understood hmm, maybe that's that's again you know over <laughs> overcompensating in a way i think one thing we all have to understand is like if we want to like we want to avoid this moment of misery where mm. everything starts going bad and our training gets bad and and it just we keep getting in this vicious cycle and the i in my opinion the only way to avoid it is to create a routine that is sustainable so every time we go hard into one thing it's very likely that it's not sustainable anymore and it will crack and the routine will be gone and then we are in a very risky period so what I like to do is whenever somebody is like at a low point, to start with a routine that you can for sure do. Like we are sure that this routine you're going to do and you're going to gain confidence through doing something that you said you'll do, right? So if we say next week you do 15 hours of tactics, yes. maybe you even get to do it one week. But the second week you do three hours and you're like, oh, I'm so bad. Why can't I even stick to one thing? Like... Oh, everything sucks. Now it doesn't even matter anymore. So let's just do, you know, whatever. Buy another opening course. And then um, two months later, I will get at the same point again. So we should start very small. And then um, we will make you do tactics with high intensity. As you said, 33% of the time, you will play and analyze. It's always a little bit tricky if you have OTB games, because that's a lot of time already invested in playing and analyzing. You don't have to play actually that much at home. Um, and then you can choose one resource, one book you like to study, and then you'll study that until you finish it. And then after you finish that, you take another one resource and you study that again. I know that might sound terrifying, but I think that's how study should look and how it will work because you will not be like, you know, okay, this is my plan. I'll finish whatever, this book on space advantage. Mm -hmm. And even if you're at the tournament and you 
play a bad rook ending, you're like, okay, if I can work on rook endings, it's anyway only in two weeks or three weeks or one month when I finish this book. So let me take some time, calm down a little bit and really analyze my stats. Do I really need rook endings? And then you'll realize as you realize now, no, rook endings is not my issue. <laughs> and then you'll always work on things that really matter. Okay, check this out, Noel. Right now, I'm currently working on the following books. Alakine's Best Games, um, Positional Decision-Making in Chess, just the space part, uh, this Rook Endings book that I have, Techniques of Positional Play. Uh, I've been looking at chess tactics from scratch again, just because my tactics were weak. The Steps Method book for... Uh, and Capablanca's best chess ending. So I'm doing all of those at once. It sounds like you're saying perhaps that's not a good plan. I wouldn't recommend to do it because I think already when you sit down and you say, I want to study chess now, now you already have the choice. You have to choose out of seven books, like which books, which book am I doing? And when a book gets hard, you're like, nah, let's maybe just take the next one. That's when you start to learn, right? When things get hard is where you... so. Every And then also, if you have seven or eight, does it really matter? No. So if somebody on Twitter tells you, hey, that book will solve your problem, you're like, oh, I'll buy it. <laughs> Another book, no problem, you know? So so well, I think- nine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I mean, by the way, I can relate to it. It's not that I'm doing everything perfect in my private life, you know, when I'm uh, about, I, I really am into self-improvement books. And sometimes I'm also, okay, this will solve my problems. This will solve my, and at some point I'm like, oh yeah, 30 pages in this book, 70 pages in this book. And it's just, at some point you even end up finishing them. But then I think back, hmm, what am I applying that I read in that book? Yeah. And I basically just read it. I was happy to finish it, but I'm not using the things. So I go back, I reread it and I really do it. And I'm like, oh, this book was really helpful. Yeah. But it's only if you do it. <laughs> so I think that's that's where we need to trick ourselves sometime, somehow into it. I don't know if you already have some ideas to do it, but that that could be very cool to, to find yourself like a routine where you have, let's say, steps method is your tactic training. That's mm -hmm. it. When you want to study tactic, you know it's step method and you now have step four and then there is maybe step four extra and then you'll go to step five. So that's a very clear plan you write down your solutions, then you, after solving 10 puzzles, you check, whatever. That's that's your tactics um, ritual. Then, you know, I don't know, once or twice a week, you play some blitz games, you analyze them afterwards, and then you have your OTB playing schedule and you analyze those games as well. As I hear, you have a coach, great. You'll analyze them with your coach, amazing. And then the third one, it's probably the hardest for you at the moment. You need to pick one <laughs> of those other books. You say, okay, I'll finish that. What is the most pressing right now? Mm -hmm. I'll finish that. And then I choose another one. And then I finish that. And what you'll find is probably you're actually moving quicker with those books. Even if you only do 33% of your time, you will be focused. You will really do it. And uh, you will move forward and actually use what you're reading. Yeah, I think... It's pretty clear Rook Endings is the book I should choose, right? Absolutely. That's that's what we have been talking all along. Guys, if you don't understand at home, <laughs> that was my <laughs> subtle message. Study that Rook Endings. If that's what I chose, I was like, all right, fine. Rook Endings it is. So when you go out, you know, you, when you publish this podcast, you're like, 
writing a tweet and now I studied this book and I just... yeah Noel demanded I study rook endings that's going to be the conclusion exactly um, an interesting observation I made is I I note at the top of each of the steps pages you know how many how many of the puzzles I'm getting right and when we talked the first time I was like hmm I don't know about this book. It's too easy. Like I'm getting most of them right. My calculation has gotten so bad uh, that that has not been the case uh, as of recent. It's like six out of 10, nine out of 12, six out of 11, five out of 12. So like I can even see my poor calculation being reflected in the steps method as I'm tracking it. So that's mm. kind of interesting to see that decline. So that's worrisome. Yeah, but it, it's also showing that we are understanding the problem at least right. Right, we we know where to work, and that's that's can also be relieving in a way. Like you you have hit a low point. Let's say it, it is you know hard, demotivating, whatever. But now you understand what's happening. You have an analysis, and now you can really move to a better future. And that sounds very 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 cringe, but uh, that's how what I came up. Yeah, yeah, I like it though. Okay, good. Um, before we get into sort of how I'm going to do this then and what exactly this training is going to be, because I feel like we're getting there quickly, which is great. I want to share with you um, the perils of being an adult improver. So I went to this um, the this promenade it has this chess day and it's really fun. People just go and play chess. And my daughter went with her friend and they were playing and I was playing. and We were all having a great day. And this guy just comes up to my daughter and her friend and starts commenting on each of their moves. And most of them, he'll go, incorrect, incorrect. He's not playing with them. He's just some annoying guy providing commentary. And so finally, near the end of the day, I'm sitting by them and he walks by. And my daughter's like, play my dad, play my dad. Because they want to see, like, does this guy know what he's talking about at all? Or is he just a random person there? Um, and I don't play the opening very well. He gets a really good attack and he ends up beating me, but man, his reaction is so large, you know, like halfway through the game. First of all, he turns to my daughter and he's like, you see what I was talking about? You need to focus on openings. This guy doesn't know anything. He knows nothing about openings and I am destroying him. And I was like, well, you know, he's not wrong. He does have a good attack. I think he's going to get me. And then at the end, he gives me a business card and he's like, you're really bad at chess. I can help you with that. And his business card is like digital photography. And I'm like, wait, what is happening here? <laughs> and then he turns to my daughter and finally he's like, this is what happens when you don't ask somebody how good they are and you just ask them to play. This is what you get. And then he walks away and I'm like, Wow, what what is what is even happening right now? So um, I was offered lessons, given a business card, and all. It was a it was a rough moment for me. That sounds like a rough moment, but also for your you know, for your opponent because uh, I'm really you know worrying about his mental health. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. sound healthy. <laughs> no, that's what I was wondering too. I was like, if like if he wants to say things to me, I'm like, hey, that's fine. Like I can handle that, but I'd rather you did not interact with my child because you're worrying me. So yeah, yeah. luckily my child just kind of tuned him out and was like, okay, thank you for the feedback. I'm going to just, you know, play with my friend here. Just in one ear out the other. Yeah. That's yeah. important. But I think one point that um, 
it's true is that you get a lot of feedback. As you said, you ask on Twitter and then everybody is having an opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And I have an opinion as well, but it is a, maybe a very unpopular one. It's don't ask advice on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is, right? I'm not claiming that I'm the, I know whatever my strategy works and everything else is bad or that, that would be bullshit. I think, well, I know for some, most of my students, my strategy works well. For me, it worked well. I know that other strategies work very well. For example, Jacob Agard, you had him on the show. Like he is an amazing coach. Um, there are other amazing coaches giving advice. But the problem is if you mix too many, mm. you get so overwhelmed and you work in so many different directions that it suddenly stops working. So you could even have like, let's say the 10 most accomplished coaches in the world and you try to get influenced by all of them, I'm sure you will. You would end up doing something bad. Like your training plan would be weird because sometimes things only work when you really stick with that whole holistic philosophy, right? So I think getting too many inputs sometimes can be destructive and it can lead to this, oh, let's buy another book. Let's do this. Let's, oh, maybe this is my solution. Maybe this is my solution because... At the end of the day, you need to work on a plan for, let's say, three months. And then you understand, okay, did that help me? How is my chess going? Because maybe the first two weeks you're playing worse chess, right? You're working hard on your tactics and your brain is even struggling more. You're like, oh my God, I'm just doing all this calculation. I can't focus at all. But then suddenly two months in, you're like, oh my God, now everything flows. I'm seeing opponent's resources every move. Boom. Opponent's resource. Opponent's resource. Oh. Oh, this is how I avoid. This is how I avoid. So um, you need some time in a specific training plan. And that's why every time getting new advice from different people can actually be difficult. And especially as a podcaster, right? You get mm -hmm. so many interesting people on the show. So we need to think about a way for you to try out one thing and trying to somehow not consider for yourself what you hear all the time because you will hear this worked for this person this person raised 200 rating by doing this this person raised 300 by doing this so you're always trying to oh maybe i should do this maybe i should do that maybe i should do this somehow you need to try to figure out what could work then put a plan get inspired by other people but not thinking like oh now i need to copy this or copy that or copy that yeah it's interesting because i feel like that's kind of what happened I had a few guests in like at the beginning of April that were talking about playing more games. And I was like, Hmm, I mean, so far my strategy has been working, but maybe it would be, this is a good time to sort of shift into just like really focusing on games. And I don't think it's a mistake to play more. I think it was just a mistake of not balancing better. Um, but I played. So over the whole year, I played a thousand. No, I played 600 blitz games in the past year, but I played 300 of them in the past 90 days. So it's like, it was a, it was a lot more blitz. And I wonder if while it was helpful in some ways by, by doing less tactics and doing more blitz, I sort of trained my brain like, Hey, calculation, you can only go so deep. Don't worry, man. Just surface level calculation is all we need. Yeah. And, and sometimes, right, blitz, if we train blitz, we are really 
like trying to go for this reactive tactics in a way, like just this mm -hmm. puzzle rush thing of like, oh, there's something hanging, let's take it. But when you play classical chess and your main aim, I think, as you understand, is your USCF rating and, and improving your classical chess, then other things are important. And then really, you know, sitting down with a book and writing down your solution, getting a clear thought process through can be extremely important for those games. And that's maybe what, what went part also and i think again playing more games is not a bad advice mm -hmm. it's just when you then mix or as you say maybe you didn't take the full advice that was just part of yeah their what, what they usually do with their students is just yeah, play more games but it's backed up by xyz which you just left out then it can be dangerous so it's like i prefer um at least at the beginning just take somebody's really training approach doesn't even have to be mine just take it follow somebody you, you like and you think okay that makes sense for me and then you start to understand for yourself okay this is what i personally need and then you can switch out 10 percent, add 10 other percent and making a, a little bit more personalized and more perfect but if you try to do that in the beginning you probably don't see that big picture or don't have that experience of of good coaches as well and then you end up doing something that maybe wasn't the perfect choice. Yeah. And as I'm reflecting, it's kind of humorous to me that I pick up a ton of rating points with one strategy. And then I'm like, that wasn't enough. Now I should switch to a different strategy. It's like, whoa, whoa. What about just continuing with what's working? How, how about trying that on? Um, yeah, so yeah, that's really interesting. That I was. What so did you do cool. when when you had this uh, this nice period where you won so many rating points? Try to guess. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? I did a lot of tactics. I did a lot Book of end tactics. Games. <laughs> I did tactics, analyzed my games, and you know, read read some strategy. But I would say a lot of the books, even that I was doing, were were tactics books. So I was doing tactics on chess.com. And then I was actually reading tactics books like check ta chess tactics from scratch to near chess antenna, uh, basically books that were making me think about creating tactics and then doing tactics puzzles that were letting me enact the tactics. And shockingly, my rating went way up. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice insight as well, right? So why, how, how can we go back to that? I think we, we can still twist two, three little things, but if something was working and the thing with tactics is that it works if you add then calculation, which is a little bit more difficult tactics. Mm -hmm. um, but, but if you add that calculation, like this system works not only until 1800, it not only works until 2000, it can work until FIDE master title even like just being extremely good at tactics and calculation, mm -hmm. playing games, and then obviously you need to improve your open repertoire from time to time. You need to have some strategy, but like those two things are really the core of chess improvement. So, so we shouldn't have done it for sure. Yeah. I think, um, I think just talking to you, my plan is going to be something like 33% playing and analyzing 33% direct puzzles, things like the steps method, chess.com puzzles, wherever I'm doing puzzles. And then I think the book that I'm going to work on is going to be uh, a tactics book. I was kind of thinking maybe 
I'm, I was going through Alakine's games specifically because there are so many interesting tactics in them. And I was thinking maybe that could be the book I'm doing because it is a tactical book as well as a games collection. I'm, I'm curious in your, your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, in general, I'm always favorable towards trying to still have that strategy opening whatever component in. Mm. I, I understand the temptation of saying, okay, I want to expand the tactics. But then again, at some point, you need to involve something else as well uh, into the plan as well. But the question is, like, how much time do you think or how much time do you have for chess study every week? Because if it's, yeah, it depends on, on your answer, what we can do with that time. Yeah, it's that's a tough one because I would say... Between about 10 and 14 hours a week um, is normal for me. And I am on summer break where I have much more time. And that's also making me feel disgusted because I'm like, oh, I really haven't taken advantage of this summer like I was planning to. And now there's only three weeks left, Noel. And then I have to go back to my real life, which is much less chess oriented. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll say around 10 to 14 will be what I will have coming up very soon. Okay, so I would suggest, I think you probably don't like that, but I would suggest starting with six hours. Starting with I would six suggest... hours a week? Yes. Have you been doing your training very well? I don't know. These 10 That's to 14 hours. Question. You think, because, so my idea is, let's make something that you can for sure do every week. You do it with high quality, and then every week you're doing it well, you add an hour until you get to the point where you're like, okay, that's the maximum I can do in a good week. So mm -hmm. the idea would be starting with six hours, then you go to seven, eight, nine, ten, and at ten, you're like, okay, can I really do that? Because again, the, the most important thing is that we don't have these weeks where you do less, and as in your words, you feel disgusted with, with yourself because... <laughs> You didn't do more, right? Yeah. Because and that creates frustration, and actually, it creates only more procrastination and not more work somehow. Yeah. So I like to um, start with less than it, that you think that you will do, and then once you do that, you gain the confidence, and you're like, "Oh, I'm always doing every time I schedule a training. I'm actually doing it. Oh my god, this is so nice." Then you can increase the quantity slowly, slowly. And you get to a point where 10 or maybe at some point where you, you know, find more time even in your week, 15 hours a week is your normal schedule. And you have been doing it over weeks and you have a huge confidence in doing it. And that can really move the needle. But already six hours will improve you if you do it correctly. What's interesting is last summer, I feel like they did a really good job of being focused on chess study for a lot of my days I was really happy with myself and during the school year because I have such a little amount of time I really have to schedule it and I'm like okay from three to four I'm doing this thing for chess and then this summer I've been like I got all the time in the world and I'm playing pickleball and a video game comes out that my friends are playing and they're like you should play with us and I'm like sure and then the end of the day comes and I'm like, what? I did like 45 minutes of chess today and I could have done eight hours. What is wrong with me? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting point of trying to 
be find a consistency rather than just kind of letting life happen. And I know we talked about this in the last episode that you were talking about that, about how important it is to kind of schedule things, because if you're self-employed or for me, I'm on summer break, it can be really easy for everything else to take over the day very quickly. I've been talking to my wife. I'm like, I don't even know how I go back to work in three weeks. Like every day is jam packed. Like what happened? How could I possibly do this? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you said, what is wrong with me? I think you are human. That's the thing. Like if we don't plan things, things get in our way, right? As you said, friends come, um, Actually, we have uh, different friends visiting this week and then next week as well. So I really had to think ahead, like which work needs to be done and what am I telling them? Like how much of my time will they get when they get here? Because I, I, I told them I got to do some work, right? I cannot just take off this week and then, oh, friends come another week and then maybe the third week also somebody's coming. And that's usually how August uh, looks like because everybody is free in August. And then they think, oh, yeah, Switzerland is nice in August. So let's just visit uh, Noel and Alessia. They are anyway self-employed and can just work less, right? So that's what happens if you don't make your own plans and you're like very clear, okay, I need to get that done. But I usually do that by really starting from a minimal point of view of saying one hour, for example, a day, six times a week. That's why I said six hours could be nice. Um, and then you employ that and... The benefit is, yeah, you could get more out of these three weeks that you still have. You could maybe kick to 20 hours a week, right? But then again, the going into the school year and going from 20 to six or 10 and actually doing it well can be very dangerous. So I would prefer the long-term approach of saying, okay, let's do six hours. And let me say it also like that, like Kevin, if you do it amazingly well the first week and you're like, okay, the energy was there, everything was there, then do eight the second week and go to 10 in the third, right? And then you're already at 10 when, when school starts again. Mm. But that really ensures that you're having a great routine, you're doing your stuff, and then you gain confidence because we also talked about confidence. And my sports psychologist, said me something very interesting. He said, you have two types of confidence. One is confidence in your ability, your skill. The other one is confidence because you did what you could. Hmm. And he said, in periods where you don't have too much confidence in your skill, you should gain confidence through making a plan and showing up when you plan to do it. Because that gives you confidence of, hey, I at least did what I, you know, what I thought I should do. I can't say I'm an idiot or I wasted my time, so I'll just do my best and that's it. Even if I play badly, I did my best. Yeah. And that can help a lot. So in times where um, you have confidence in your skill, that's nice. But when you don't, you should gain confidence through what you've been doing consistently. Yeah. And I think for me, the way my confidence works is they work together a lot. If I'm confident that I've been doing what I'm supposed to do, then I'm confident in my skill. And if I lose, <clears throat> there's always some reason, right? Like some kid was on an upswing and that's why you lost. Sure, whatever. But if I'm confident in the process, then I can fall back on that and just be like, you know, maybe that wasn't even a skill thing. Maybe that person's just better than me and that's fine. Um, but I know I'm doing what I have to do. And I think <clears throat> as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing more and more that part of it is just, I haven't had a good plan this summer. 
I haven't been confident in what I've in doing the process this summer. And because I'm not confident in the process, then everything becomes results oriented. And if the results aren't there, then it's a total disaster, right? Because now there's nowhere to grab onto for firm hold. Yeah, I love that. I, I do totally agree. Um, that makes it if you if you don't have a journey or a process you can be proud of, the only thing you can be proud of is winning, right? Basically. Yeah. And and that's what happens. So so we need to have that journey. And I think it's a quote of James Clear. I'm gonna butcher it, but it's something like um when things go, you fall back to your not to your expectations, but your systems something mm -hmm. along these lines. So mm -hmm. um, we all have bad weeks. And when these happen, we don't get where we want to be, but we get what we have as a consistent habit. And that's why it's so important to have like, okay, I have this training routine. Even if I have a very bad tournament, I get back. I do this one hour a day. I take one day off. Everything is good. I will improve my chest slowly and I will get there. Yep. Okay. Qu a couple of questions then. Um, first, this is a question that I wrote down before we started this. Should I change my opening repertoire? I have, every time I have a bad run, I look at my D4 repertoire and I'm like, I'm still bad with D4. Should I just go back to E4? Where, by the way, I was bad with that too. Um, so Noel, should I scrap my whole opening repertoire as a response to my, my tough times? Yeah, you should do that and study Rook End games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it sounds like you're saying you looked at my games, the openings are fine. And this is what my coach says, by the way. He's like, show me one game where you're losing in the opening. And I'm like, I know, but I just feel like less confident about them sometimes. And he's like, well, that's not where you're losing. And so it sounds like you're agreeing with that assessment. I do agree a lot. Yeah, it's it's this process of questioning everything, and then openings are very trendy, right? Everybody has courses, this, that, boom, new course out, or oh, this will make you, and so it's very easy to find for fall for the shiny object, but um, it takes also a lot of time yeah. to change opening repertoires, and that's just time that you sacrifice from other things, and other things are more important. So I would definitely stick with your opening. Yeah, my my I'm totally fine with what I play as black, but it's so funny. Whenever I win with D4, I'm like, yes, D4 is my opening. I'm a positional guy. It's perfect. And then when I lose with D4, I'm like, I should really be playing a more tactical opening. D4 is just not a good fit for me. So it's a really uh interesting experience. At least I'm I'm uh cognizant enough to realize how much I shift back and forth. But it doesn't mean I can race the feelings that I should be switching every time something goes wrong. Yeah, but it's good. Maybe you 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 just write it down somewhere. Like some of these things, you just want to write it down yourself. What I do sometimes is maybe ridiculous, but I write it down, I sign it, and I hang it somewhere on my wall. And it's like date signed by myself. Mm. And it's like, okay, I already was there 15 times. <laughs> And at one point, I was so angry at myself for always getting there. Okay, I wrote it down. I signed it. I will never change my opening repertoire unless blah, 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 blah. And then you just take that decision away. Because when you're on a bad tournament, I usually even took these. I had these post-its 
where I wrote these things down. Mm -hmm. I took these things to the tournaments and I would hang them on the hotel wall. And probably idea. I love this. People people doing my rooms were thinking like this this guy went completely crazy. <laughs> he just has three chess boards and only some stupid post-its of what he shouldn't do. <laughs> but it worked for me. So uh -huh. in the end, yeah, it's all about tricking ourselves into the right way of thinking. Yeah. Okay. That that is great advice. I think I'm gonna write down. I'm not gonna do it today. I'm gonna wait till I have a good result, and then I'm gonna write down. Your D4 openings are fine. You know, check the results. You're fine. You're not losing in the opening. And it's funny, like, even so, like, I play some games. We'll say I played yesterday uh, a rapid game on chess.com. And I felt a little iffy in the opening. And I was like, mm, opening went badly. And I still won. And then um, I, I went through the analysis with the engine. And the engine's like, you played the opening 97% accurate. And I was like, what? I felt terrible in the opening. What are you talking about? And it's like, dude, it's not about feelings. Look, look at what happened. It was totally fine. And I'm like, ah, okay. All right. So I am not going to switch my entire opening repertoire. Awesome. Um, another question I had was, should I just do tactics? And it seems like we have answered that as well, right? Just because we've isolated a problem does not mean we're going to overreact then and then only do tactics as the solution. Yeah, I mean, there, there are instances where actually coaches or, or students did that. Um, I remember um, Yusupov when he worked with Voretsky. Um, he, he was, Yusupov was my coach, so he told me this story where he was playing bad attacking chess mm. and for like two or three months, his coach Voretsky would just force him to play aggressive all the time. And that was just their main idea of playing, just like attack everyone, just like in any position, just attack them. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or whatever. <laughs> and he, he would just just do that over and over and over. And at some point he just got this monster, attacking monster. He was just so good because he started to realize, okay, this position, it didn't work. Other position, it worked. But I think that's, again, if you're not guided very well and just by somebody like Voretsky who can say, okay, now, now we are shifting back. It's just dangerous to miss the point of like, oh, I should maybe do other things as well. And and that's why I prefer to say, okay, tactics anyway in there, 33%. If let's say strategy would be your problem, we would certainly have the third, third strategy and no opening, no end game. And just let's mm -hmm. do this. And that's still enough time, especially if you have 10 to 14 hours in a good week. That's a lot of time. So you can really get ahead even with one third of that time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then I guess the last place we should be focusing is if if we're isolating that the problem seems to be the one third tactics and especially identifying opponents moves. Is there some way for me to sort of tr train my tactics training to work specifically on that issue? Yeah. So I have, uh, written down two things. Um, one is when we solve tactical exercises, right? Usually we know, oh, there is something for us. So we don't have a habit for actually checking what would be the threat of the opponent. But during the game, it's not as easy. We can believe that it's that easy. Yeah. So I have one thing I, I try to tell all my students. It sounds again a little bit stupid, but it's a habit that is really good. So when you look at a, let's say you have your step um, method book, 
you look at an exercise, first thing you do is you check what would they play if it were, was their move. So you try even in a puzzle where you basically know it doesn't matter what they are threatening because I want to win. You train yourself. First thing you do when you look at a position is what is their threat? And then I'm going for my candidate. That's one thing. And then we want to use that in games. So whenever you play games, you try to think two different questions. First question, when they make a move, you're thinking, what are they threatening? Like just right away, they make a move. That's the, oh, they moved something. OTB, in my opinion, that's actually easier because there's really a piece movement. You see the hand. When you walk back to the board, it's harder because the piece is already there. But when they move a piece and actively attack something, that's the moment to spot it. That's the moment to think about it. Okay, now this pawn is attacked. I got to be careful. So that's the first question. And then you do your normal calculation process. You come up with a move. But before you move, you ask yourself, if I play this move, do they have an easy tactic? So just shortly in your brain, you think, okay, the knight is already on e4 because I want to play knight e4. Do they have an easy tactic? And sometimes you will spot, oh my God, oh, I just nearly blundered my queen, right? <laughs> so that, that's not good. So these two questions during the game and the one question during tactics training would be the only thing I would adjust for trying to really do that for the next month or so and then seeing if you find um, some difference in your play. Yeah, I think that's really important advice because as you're saying that, I'm realizing that the way I'm training myself to analyze a position is to look for my move and not look at all for my opponent's move. Because like you said, it's a puzzle. I, it doesn't matter what my opponent does. I'm looking for the mate or the, the fork. Um, and so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that when I sit down to an over-the-board game and I start calculating, my brain's like, cool, I know. I know the system. We've already done the training. I look for your move, and I do not care what your opponent does, right? Because that's what we trained to do. And I'm like, no, brain, brain, brain. We have to change everything now for this one moment. I can see why my brain would struggle to make that adjustment and to find some of my opponent's moves, but have some really terrible moments where I just don't see my opponent's obvious move. Exactly. Yeah, usually we have these two extremes. Most of us are in this same shoes as you. We just love to think about our own ideas. It's also more fun. Mm -hmm. Just... Like, okay, defending, yeah, okay, can be nice, but like making some nice trick, that's beautiful. Like, that's cool. Delivering a nice checkmate, hell yeah. That's what we are trying to do here. So, but then there is this other camp actually that is too scared of opponent ideas. So, mm -hmm. we don't want to get there, but once you have like a general personal state in which camp you are, it's very hard to fall into the other one, I think, because you will always be drawn more to your own ideas. I don't think you will overreact in that sense. So I think having this habit is good. Like just really thinking for your opponent also during training. And what I would usually do, and I don't know if you could do that um, with your coach, that's something you don't have to do, but can be fun. So when I uh, trained with Marcus Rogger, grandmaster from Austria, he would prepare tests for me. And I didn't know, is it a tactic or is it just a normal move? Or is it a tricky position where the most obvious tactic actually loses? 
Mm. So those were like real game situations. And he was really cheeky because I knew that there would be 12 positions. I have one hour. I have to write down the solution to every position. I have to, um, you know, use the time smartly. I just have to find a decent move. And in some of these 12 positions, there was just one losing tactic. While in other sets of 12 positions, there were like 10, like everything was losing. So I really didn't know what I was about to do because I, first I started figuring out, okay, he has four strategy, four tactics and four anti-tactics. Okay. So when I found four tactics, I knew there is no more. So he always tried to trick me more and more. And that's actually great training. I really love that. Because um, that really trains your brain to always be on the look. And in a way, having your coach trying to trick you is a little bit similar to having your um, your opponent trying to trick you. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just this conversation has been funny for me because it's also helping me remember I just shift extremes so much and I need to stop doing it. So like I used to do what you were talking about with being attacked. I would really overreact. I make all these defensive moves that were unnecessary and then lose because then, yes, the attack will eventually work if you just push pawns and make weaknesses and then they can bring more pieces in. But now I've gone the other way where my coach will be like, why are you not responding to that attack? And I'm like, ah, that's nothing. I'll be fine. And he's like, you're not going to be fine. They have two rooks, a knight and a bishop and they can push their pawns and i'm like my bishop's there it'll be fine and he's like how can you say this so yeah, yeah i uh i made i made too big of a shift in that direction i think i actually remember one specific game where you traded off rooks in an end game mm-hmm. and your king was on g8 and you your uh, notation was i know i shouldn't trade rooks but my king will get to d5 from g8 there was still a pawn on f7 so it needs to uh, F8, E7, huh? uh, E6, D5, four moves. And my knight will go to E6, and then I will take D4 because the pawn will just hang. Yeah. And your knight was also somewhere, right? And his king was on E1, so he was easily a- able to protect it. He <laughs> still had a knight, which is also allowed to move and protect that pawn. And I was like, Kevin, what were you thinking? Like, <laughs> you're not the only one playing this game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if I was, I would have crushed him. I had a great. Yeah, like, in your mind, it was like this pawn was gone. Yeah. Obviously, oh, yeah. the pawn ended up queening on d8, which was a little <laughs> bit of wrong. <laughs> and I but that shows like how, where your brain is at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I. Uh, it's been hard. It's been hard to to really do that, and I really think. I'm realizing it's because my training is so my move focused. It's not that surprising when uh, when my brain has that problem. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal something that I realized recently that's really even more embarrassing. Um, the the book uh, Logical Chess Move by Move is amazing. It has these puzzles, right? And they're they're difficult, and I struggle with them. And I love doing the ones where it's white to move because that makes sense to me. But when it says black to move, I will sometimes skip them because I'm like, what? That's the other side of the board. Like, who cares what black's going to do? Like, that's how much I've decided I'm not caring about my opponent's move. <laughs> I love that story. That's that's amazing. <laughs> Goodness. 
Oh, mm. my poor brain. I've tricked it. I've tricked it in a bad way, Noel. I've messed it yeah, up. Yeah, now we need to trick it in a good way because yeah. at the end of the day, I really believe in that. We got to trick our brains. Humans are stupid and lazy. <laughs> we got to find We got to find ways to trick ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, I feel like I've got some really great next steps coming out of this that will help me avoid the ridiculous things like buying rook endings and thinking about scrapping my whole repertoire. I'm going to do a minimum. I'm going to start with only six hours, but I'm guessing the minimum is going to be a little higher. I hope um, I am going to do the one third. And when I do tactics, I'm really going to be uh, focused on them and think a lot about my opponent's move before I move. I'm going to identify if it were my opponent's turn to move, what would they move and why? And as I'm writing down my tactical answer, I'm going to look at that answer also and say, what would my opponent do here? Is there that basic tactic that undermines things? And I will say that's what I like about the steps method so much is that often is what I'm getting wrong. It's not like my move's great if my opponent didn't have that resource. And, mm. and like like you've said um, in your course and in our previous uh, episode, I've been writing down my answers and then checking and making a list of what went wrong. It's almost always defensive resource. Like almost every single time it's like, ah, yes, they could just go there. Okay. Mm. So uh, I think I'm sort of on my way there. I just really need to focus on that. And then I guess the one third is where the decision comes in. I'm, I'm going to whittle it down. Well, I'm not going to do seven books. I think probably what I'm going to do is two. I'm going to do a games collection when I'm in the mood to do games collections. And when I'm in the mood to read a book, to read a book, I'm going to have something. I don't know what that book is going to be. I'm considering rereading Chess Tactics from scratch because I feel like it had the biggest impact on my game. But I'm a little worried that there's too much overlap there than with Tactics. What do you think? Should I just carve out some of the one-third Tactics to read that book and read something different from my one-third strategy endings openings any thoughts there i think that could be great yeah you can you can say like let's say um with with six hours you you have these two sessions for each third right mm -hmm. uh, each one hour so you could start saying okay you do one and a half hours of tactic solving and just a half an hour of getting through that book again just you know that you mm -hmm. you have those ways of thinking uh into and then the other third, you can do something else. You can play through, um, through the games of Aliachain. What else did you have? You had some, actually the positional, um, what was it? Some positional uh, book Mastering had, Positional yeah. Sacrifices. And there was oh, also the techniques of positional play, which is quite good. Uh -huh. So I would think about one thing that you think, okay, that could push my chest the most. Mm -hmm. And then you do that. Maybe you can ask your coach, like out of this book, if you had to choose one, mm -hmm. I can only choose one, which should I use? Because sometimes from outside, um, we can see that a little bit better. Now for this, I have much less information than your actual coach. So I prefer him taking that step. But okay. maybe you can just say, okay, I'll write it down and I'll just follow whichever book he chooses for me. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. It's hard. My coach is such a voracious reader that he'll be like, you should read this book. And I'll go, cool. And then the next week we'll meet again. He's like, did you finish it? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I only read 20 pages. What are you talking about? Did I finish it? 
And he's like, oh, my bad. I just I read books like, you know, a couple of days. I was like, oh, I can't do that. That's uh, that sounds good. But yeah, uh, I can't guy. do that either. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how he does it. Well, Noel, what a great episode for me. Listeners out there, I hope you were able to glean things for yourself. I think the mistakes I've made are fairly common. Stretching yourself too thin on a wide variety of things, overreacting to moments in games and deciding it's time to rework your whole strategy around that, hearing some great advice from some person and then shifting everything you're doing, even though it's working, to go to that advice. Uh, these these seem like common problems, so hopefully this episode will help you. Uh, Noel, thanks so much for coming on. Also, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about this as we leave. You put out an ebook that's like 60 pages, and I assumed it'd be like $10, and then it was free? Like, I, I think we need to talk about your business model here, my friend. What is going on here? Actually, a guy came up to me in Beal when I played the Blitz tournament. He said, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's nice to help people. But why are you doing this? <laughs> Just relax. Yeah, I'm not charging 100 bucks. I'm giving it for free. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I this uh, has been a pleasure. It has actually been an idea um by my good friend uh, Aveti Grigorian, hmm. uh grandmaster himself. And uh, he told me, "Hey, you give this freebie. I don't like it. it was like 3 pages. You got to give more." I was like, oh. "Okay, my friend, I give more." And now I give more and now we're both happy. So yeah, it's a it's a ebook on chess training. It's called The Art of Chess Training. Uh, where I dive deeper in some ideas we talked actually about in this conversation, right? Uh, make it simple, how to avoid fear of missing out, how to schedule and write down a training plan, why you should have one day free every week, all these kind of things. So if you want to improve your chess, um, check it out. It's free. I mean, it's really, I'm not so good at advertising my own stuff, but now that it's free, I'm like, come on, go, go get it. Like, yeah. That <laughs> That, that's an easy advertisement. So yeah, so there's you can use the code. Um, Noel gives everything away for free. To get a free <laughs> copy of his free book, <laughs> and we will have a a link in the show notes so, so you can easily find this free book. Exactly. So, and yeah. I actually jokes aside, if <clears throat> if you want to buy something, there's still the course which we talked about last episode, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously much more in depth and everything. But um, the the ebook actually helps you already quite a lot to really get your training um, into the right direction, and uh, it's there to grabs. Yeah, it, it seems great. I'm, I I actually haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. I I don't know how I haven't read this free resource, <laughs> but I will be reading it. <sighs> Noel, thanks so much for so generously donating your time. I mean that's. That's a lot to go through someone's whole decline and look at all the games and try to figure out what's going on. At least for me, it's easy because it's the same mistake every single time. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you taking the time to do it and coming on here and sharing your thoughts and ideas. Those darn rookie games, yeah. That's yeah. Um... <laughs> always the right. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being open and honest. I really hope people at home. Uh, found that interesting and uh, yeah keep on improving keep on believing sometimes you're just a small step away from a huge improvement so giving up would be the saddest thing 
ever. Yes, there will there will be no giving up here. That's for sure. Let's go. Uh, yes, exactly. All right. Well, for all of you out there, I hope this is the week where you figure out what's been going wrong and you hammer that and you gain 200 rating points. And if it's not, if it's a plateau or even worse, a pit of despair, come back next week. Hopefully we'll have some more ideas that will help you break out. People will share their journeys with you. And I'll see you all next time. Goodbye, everybody.